When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, uh, spooky nerds. Aaron here, back for another episode of Talking Strange. And we sadly missed last week because, well, I was on a boat. Yeah, I was on a cruise in Alaska with the Strange Escapes Paranormal Tourism Company, of course owned by Amy Bruni of the Haunted Road podcast and Kindred Spirits TV show. And it was a great time. The boat seemed to have everything except, apparently, it didn't have a strong enough Wi-Fi signal for me to upload an episode. I did try. I did try, and I failed miserably. So here we are. We are back. But we've got a good one for you, so let's get to this week's topic. Because horror is invading the DC Comics universe this summer with the publishing event Night Terrors. And comic book writer Joshua Williamson is the dream master. Josh Williamson has written comic book titles like The Flash, Robin, Batman, Dark Crisis, Green Arrow, and Superman. And this comic book publishing event kicks off with the oversized special Night Terrors First Blood, number one, on July 4th. And that's with art by Howard Porter. The main Night Terrors story will take place over four issues written by Williamson with art by... Giuseppe Camincoli, beginning with Night Terrors number one on July 11th. So what is Night Terrors all about? The story revolves around a new villain named Insomnia who has plunged the entire world into a realm of their own deeply personal nightmares. Meanwhile, Boston Brand, a.k.a. Dead Man, the ghost superhero of the DC Comics universe, becomes the unlikely hero who, along with the help of Batman and Batman's body, is on the case to figure out who Insomnia is. This is a line-wide event. It also includes two-issue miniseries spotlighting a superhero or supervillain confronting their worst nightmares in a nightmare realm. So readers will get to delve into the nightmares of Batman, Superman, Joker, Harlequin, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and more. The series is horror-fueled, and it's full of a lot of supernatural elements. I've been able to check out a couple titles from it. And in addition to being a comic book junkie, obviously, I love the spooky elements of Night Terrors, which is why I was excited to talk with Josh Williamson about that. So let's dive in. Okay, Josh Williamson, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. So Night Terrors, this is a big project that you've been working on and a, a scary one. And I'm loving everything that I've seen so far from it. Now, our understanding is that horror invades the DC universe with night terrors. Um, and of course, we got a glimpse of this in the free comic book day preview. But talk a little bit about just the overview of what 
Night Terrors is and give us a breakdown on this nightmare realm. Yeah, um, you know, I guess the easiest way to explain it is it's uh, Freddy versus DC Comics. Uh, you know, it's uh, Nightmare on DC Street. That's been kind of the buzzwords I've been using to describe it to people, you know? Um, you know, I've always been really fascinated by Nightmares, and I'm a big fan of, of Nightmare on Elm Street, you know? And uh, so I wanted to play around with those ideas and those worlds. And then also, like, I'm a huge horror fan. And, you know, I really love horror comics and horror movies, horror TV shows. Like, I think it's probably my favorite genre. It's the one I always look for first, you know? And, like, if it's late at night and I'm, like, oh, I'm up, I'm going to put something on, it is always something horror-related. Uh, and so, you know, we started talking last year about some different ideas um, of what to do this summer. And the whole time I've been working at DC Comics, you know, before I was at DC, I had worked on a lot of, like, horror comics. Uh, but while I was working on uh, the last couple of years, it's been, you know, Flash and Superman and Green Arrow, not, not you know, characters you associate normally with horror. But I think DC has a really great history with horror. And so last year when we started talking with them about some ideas, we, we started landing on a couple different things. And one of them was horror, you know, saying that DC Comics is haunted. And then me and Ben Abernathy, who's the executive editor of DC Comics, we were just having lunch one day, having beer and pizza. And I was like, nightmares. Let's go with nightmares. And so we created this new character. His name is Insomnia. And what he does is he puts every single person on the planet into the nightmare realm, into this like deep dream state. And he's searching for something. He's searching for something called the nightmare stone, uh, which is this, you know, horrific stone that can allow you to pull things from your nightmares into the real world. And Dr. Destiny, uh, who's a justice league villain since the golden age, he, or silver age, excuse me, he actually uh, hid it in somebody's nightmares and so that's why Insomnia is searching for him. And so what it does is it allows us to just tell a bunch of fun, short horror stories with the DCU. And that's sort of what we've been doing with it. And, you know, it has Deadman in it, it has Damien, uh, you know, Batman's son, Robin. Uh, obviously it has Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. But then it just takes over all of the DCU. And it allowed us to really have some fun to tell horror stories in the DCU. So the character of Insomnia... And it's and we kind of get this tease a little bit that maybe this is someone that has a connection to the past. Is this mm -hmm. is this someone we've met before in another form? No, they have connections to Doctor Destiny, but it is somebody who has been impacted by the events of the DCU the last like ten years. You know, it's somebody who definitely has an axe to grind, um, but it's something that was sort of like off panel, you know, and it's. One of the things Asamio wants people to understand is really one of his, his big goal of it. You know, his big goal isn't really to kill anybody. He he feels like superheroes should not be worshipped and not seen as a good thing. He thinks that superheroes are scary. They're terrifying. The idea there are people running around in these costumes with these powers, and he feels like they're careless. And so to him, he wants the entire world to stop worshipping superheroes. He wants them to see them the way he sees them, which is as horror. And that's really what his biggest goal is. And it's because of the things that have happened in his life. Like this dude has had all of these bad things happen throughout his life. And they're always connected to superheroes. They're always connected to some kind of, you know, big DC event. And it's like the little things that we don't no notice in those events. is like sometimes these really big stories will happen. And we don't necessarily know what's happening to all the people on the street and how it's impacting their lives negatively. And that's 
big piece of his origin. And in the actual Night Terror book, we're going to show his origin backwards because uh, Dead Man is digging deeper and deeper and finding out who this person is and why they're so angry and why they want what they want. And I really feel like you're just, you're just kind of seeing this like tragic backstory in reverse for those issues. Yeah. Now, I want to stick with Insomnia for another yeah. moment, as much as you can say. I mean, do you approach this character as someone that is supernatural in origin or someone that, and I guess what I'm thinking is because you had alluded to Freddy Krueger. Um, I was just recently kind of giving a presentation about uh, ghosts and demons from 1980s films. And, oh, nice. And, yeah. and Freddy, uh-huh. Freddy started out as like a classic supernatural but ghostly entity that was haunting dreams and then as the franchise evolves we realize he's part of this larger dream demon kind of Mm -hmm. cadre so is insomnia a human a ghost or is he a entity or oh that's tough to that's part of the mystery actually like who they are exactly and what their connections are and where you know, because that, that is something that Dead Man sort of pieces together at some point. He's like, if this person is infiltrating our dreams, does that mean they're asleep somewhere? You know, is there is there an actual person that, that is controlling this? And that's part of what he's looking for. And uh, yeah, there are some deeper connections, other things going on in the DCU without getting too much of the spoilers. But yeah, there's definitely some, some deeper connections. But I also didn't want to overdo it, you know? And I think that's something with him in particular, it was like, I wanted to, my, my biggest goal with Insomnia was I wanted readers to get to the end of his origin and maybe be like, oh, he's right. Like, I understand this person. Like, I think that's the thing with Freddy. Like, Freddy, you'll never agree with Freddy. <laughs> you know? You'll get to the end and go, you know what, that Freddy guy, he had it going on. He knew it was up. It's like, oh, no, that dude's a monster. He's funny, but he's a monster. You know? Um, you know, he's less funny in the first movie, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, with with insomnia, I, I'm curious how many people are going to get to the ending and be like, "Yeah, maybe he's right." <laughs> so there's 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 a bit of a difference, but I really wanted to focus more on like that with him on an emotional level, and and then the stuff that happens with him will definitely still drop into other pieces of things we're doing in the DCU afterward, and you'll see some of those bigger connective tissue later. Yeah, and as you said, uh, Freddie is not really uh, incredibly humorous in the first film. I mean, he has his moments, oh. but then later yeah he's a monster that seems to enjoy his job now we kind of enjoy have his that. job yeah. yeah it's interesting to be you know I'm, I'm a child of the 80s right and so i'm a cable kid i'm a vhs kid you know and i think one of the things really interesting about that era is discovering movies in the middle you know like it wasn't like all these movies i you know it's not like today where you're like oh this new movie's coming out and i kind of know everything about it before it comes out in a weird way, right? Like, back in the 80s, it was like, yeah, you're flipping channels, you know, late at night or with your friends at a sleepover, and then suddenly you stumble across, you know, a horror movie, but you're not necessarily watching them in order half the time. And that was my experience with Freddy, where it was like, I started watching later Freddy movies before I saw the first one. And then I remember, and that by that point, by that point, there had been a few Freddy movies. I think there were already four by then. And so I had already built this narrative of who Freddy was, right? Um, you know, I remember going to like Not Scary Farm and they would have Freddy come out on that stage, that live stage, and it was like really funny, you know, like that's the Freddy that he by that point he had become later, you know. Uh I remember the first time I sat down and watched the first movie, you know, like a little older 
you know, not watching it in bits and pieces, being like, I'm going to watch it, boom, right here, all together. And I was definitely surprised. I was like, oh, no, this is a horror movie. This is not what it became, you know? And so when we were working on this, uh, we actually talked about that a lot. We were like, oh, we want to get that kind of horror. Like, I still think one of my favorite scenes ever in a horror movie is when that clear body bag is in the school hallway and it lifts on its own and then starts to drag. It's just, it's one of my favorite parts ever in a horror movie. And so with this book, I kept coming back around to that scene. I was like, well, let's slow down for a minute. You know, like, where is the actual horrific bits? You know, and that was one of the fun things about talking to the writers and artists was just like that that like let's try to find moments that are genuinely scary in here you know like we want it to be fun um you know when i was writing insomnia i didn't base him actually off of um freddie i thought a lot more about david bowie and labyrinth but a little more twisted you know he's pretty twisted in that movie i mean he's charming but he's trying to kill, kidnap these, this baby but so i was thinking about that a little bit more when i was just shaping who insomnia was and and some of uh his story but yeah like when I talked to their writers and the, the artists editorial, it seems like that. It was like, where can we find stuff like that that is just really disarming and will haunt you, you know, as a reader? But both both um, Bowie's Gareth and, and Freddie, they kind of enjoy their job. There's a glee that comes along yes. with it. Is, yes. that, is that true of Insomnia or is it more of yeah. a pathos take? No, he wants to, he, he enjoys it. I think there's a part, because to him, he sees it and he's torturing them, you know? And so I think he definitely wants them. There's a couple scenes in, like, even the Batman one, the Superman one that I wrote, where it's like, you know, he's sort of talking to Batman about how, like, I'm not making this. Like, this is yours. You made this nightmare world. Like, you're giving me the tour of mm-hmm. it, you know? And, like, but he also likes the idea of being, like, you know, there are times where Batman is confronted with things that scare him, and he's like, look at this thing that scares you, you know? He's just like, look at this thing that your mind made. We're messed up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, so there's, there's some fun to that, and then, you know, like, I have I have some stuff with him that's pretty fun. Superman and, like, Mark Wade did a really fun scene with him in um, the Shazam two-parter as well. There's a fun scene in there with Insomnia. But yeah, there is a hint of, like, he is scary. He is angry. Uh, you know, there's a scene later, there's a scene much later where him and dead man are talking and it's like a confrontation between them. And I, I wrote it very emotional. Like I made like insomnia sheds the, he sheds the persona for a moment. It just becomes real for a moment talking to dead man. And it's a bit more emotional of, of what he's actually feeling going on with him. But yeah, he definitely enjoys what he's doing. Like he likes torturing them basically yeah and boston brand i mean i'm i love dead man and i feel like he's a character that for me i never want to see him overused or or too present throughout comic Mm -hmm. books because i still like that mystery of when he does pop up yeah me too talk about using um boston uh for for use about using dead man why he is the proper anchor the proper i guess um investigator taking us through this night nightmare realm of insomnia or nightmare realms and the mystery of insomnia you know early on when we started talking about this project one of the things that we kept talking about was like the dcu is haunted 
right? I mean, we kept having these ideas of DC being haunted and being haunted by something unseen. And when we started talking about that, I was like, well, that's like Dead Man, you know, like Dead Man in a way is haunting the DCU, right? Like he, and I, I find it interesting, it was this person who, you know, he, he loved having an audience, right? Like he was this death-defying Daredevil. I mean, he was Dead Man before he was Dead Man, right? And, you know, he loved having this audience, you know? And we talked about this in one of the issues where it was like, it wasn't about the applause, it was about the gasps, you know? Like he loved that feeling of knowing the audience thought he might actually die. Like they, if he really pulled it off every time, they would really believe it. Um, that he also had to believe it, you know, in those moments, but that, what does that say about him as a person? And as we were uh, putting this stuff together, I kept thinking about all these different ideas for him and how like, this is a person who used to love having an audience and now he is forever the audience, right? Like he is forever trapped as this ghost who could only watch, watch other people live, right? Where it used to be that way around. And so as we started pulling all this stuff together, at one point I put it to the side because I was like, oh no, we're going to focus on, on dreams and nightmares. Maybe it doesn't fit with him. But as I kept working on it and developing it, I was like, no, it still makes sense for him, you know? And it's like, it's still, it's still fit for him to be that character, to be in the story. And then, you know, we were just talking about different ideas for him. And yeah, I just kept coming back around to him. You know, it was like, here's this person who I need a narrator. I need a point of view for the story. I need an emotional arc for the story. And this idea, there was a line of dialogue and that was when I finally clicked was I was writing insomnia and I have insomnia say, what does the dead dream about? And that's when I was like, okay, it's dead man. Like we're going to use dead man. Like the moment I thought about that, I was like, oh no, it's going to be dead man. And I think him being this person that's sort of, you know, in this moment, like he's constantly moving through people's lives, right? He obviously influences change, but he can never change. Like he's a ghost, you know, that's it. He's a ghost. And now in this situation, when it's like the DCU's back against the wall, he ends up being its one hero. And, but it forces him to sort of step out of that audience for a moment. Like now he's the person being the uh, showman again. So it just allows it to do a lot of fun stuff with his character. And then, yeah, it definitely has an emotional arc because even when Insomnia is talking to him, the thing Insomnia says to him at some point is like, what do you want? Like, what do you want? You know? And I don't think Deadman has really thought about that for a while because there's not much he can do. Like he recognizes mm -hmm. he's sort of trapped, you know? And like, he can't be the person he was before. And we've dealt with that story a little bit, like years ago in Brightest Day, they dealt with a little bit of this. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to come back around to it and revisit it. And then selfishly, selfishly, I just really love the character. So it's like any opportunity to write characters I love, I'll take. Uh, one of the cool things about Dead Man with this project was like the moment we started talking to artists and pulling different artists in for covers, um, like word got out among some artists that we worked on a Dead Man related thing. And then all of a sudden artists are coming out of the woodwork being like, I'll draw a cover for that. <laughs> like I love Dan, but I'll draw for that. Uh, Ivan Reyes, who does the covers for the main Night Terror series, I met him at a convention and I was telling him like some of the covers you've been doing are some of my favorite covers you've ever done. And he was like, that's because I love Dead Man. <laughs> He's just like, I love Dead Man. I was like, all right, cool. Like, everybody loves Dead Man. This is great. So it's been, I, I, but yeah, I actually like writing as a character and it, it fit the story. I, you know, we have um, other characters that are coming. Well, actually, let me pause for a moment. Let me go yeah, back sure. and just ask. One of the things I was thinking about is can a dead man dream and have nightmares? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to explore that. Can he? Yeah. Yeah, like that. That is that is a piece of uh, of the story. Yeah, it comes up a little bit later. We'll we'll answer that question. Yeah. 
Well, we we spent a lot of time with Batman as well. And as much as I love Batman, there is this um, sometimes obvious go-to to rely on Batman as the the guy that's going to um, solve the the mental problems and and save that kind of day for the DC universe. Is this a Batman that is automatically able to navigate this realm, or is this a Batman that's out of his league? You know, I think when you read the actual Batman two-parter, you're going to see that, like, Batman thinks he's prepared for everything, right? He thinks he's prepared for everything, including this. And you'll see that he didn't prepare for everything, right? Like, he prepared for everything from his point of view and insomnia and his own nightmares. That's really what it is, right? Like, there's a scene in the the Batman issue where insomnia sort of explains this, and there's a flashback to Alfred where they talk about this, that, like, Batman is prepared for everything, but the thing he's fighting is not insomnia. He's fighting his own his own thoughts, his own nightmares. And so because he's prepared for everything, his nightmares are also prepared for him. Like they've figured out ways to counter him. And so he's definitely going to get in over his head fairly quickly. And there's definitely some fun big moments with him. Uh, You know, he's still Batman, uh, but it's still like a hard journey to get there for him because again, he thinks he's prepared for everything, but like his own mind is still prepared for him. So yeah, it leads to some horrific stuff. (laughs) I think some of the stuff we did with Batman is some of the more, like, I was surprised we got away with, to be honest. Like, there are moments in this book where, uh, you know, it's a horror book, but it's still Teen Plus, which is, like, PG-13. So I have to, like, do cheats, but I still feel like we pushed that boundary as far as we could. And there's definitely parts of Batman where we really pushed it. Yeah. I I don't... And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about uh, Wesley Dodd's uh, Sandman, the original Sandman, comes into play here. Um, that's, I mean, that that's fair game. That's That's been yeah, out yeah. there. Right? He's on the yeah. covers. He's on the covers. Yeah, yeah right. he's on the covers. That's not a spoiler. Yeah, he's on the covers. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. So using bringing back that character, how does he kind of fit within all of this? And and what was sort of the joy involved in and going back to the original Sandman. Well, you know, I, I, again, like selfishly, I just really love that character. You know, I was really a big fan of Matt Wagner. Uh, he was doing the Sandman Mystery Theater. Like that was one of my, my favorite books. You know, it's a book I, will, I go back to often. Um, and like, I mean, the work that he was doing with Guy Davis, it's just, it's really amazing, you know? And so when we started talking about this book, you know, there were some obvious things we can go to. And I was like, let's, let's surprise people. Let's do something a little different. And uh, as I started developing the story, I was thinking about, okay, well, here's Insomnia. This is his origin. This is what he wants. And then the conversation was, okay, well, he wants, what's our MacGuffin? Okay, so the Nightmare Stone is our MacGuffin. That's what he wants. All right, what is the Nightmare Stone? Where is it from? What is its origins? And as I started piecing that together, I was, I, I essentially came to like, oh, it's a case that got away. It's like one of the cases that Wesley Dodds was investigating back then 
that got away and it always haunted him. Like it always bothered him that he couldn't solve this one case. This one thing went unfinished. And so when this has happened with the Nightmare Stone, he gets re-involved. Um, I won't spoil how he gets re-involved, but he gets re-involved uh, and wants to finish it. You know, I mean, Dead Man goes to him to sort of be like, well, I need your help. Can you tell me what it is? And Wesley Dodds is like, yes, but I also have to finish that case. Like it's the, it's the one that got away. And so, uh, yeah, we get to do a cool like flashback sequence with him and, and the artist, uh, Camu really did. It's Giuseppe Camacoli. Uh, he did a kind of like homage to Guy Davis in those sequences. And it's just, it's super cool. It's just, just real fun stuff, dude. Like, but yeah, I always really liked that character and it's one of my, the things I've always wanted to go back to, you know, I've always wanted to do a story with him or even with his sidekick, uh, Sandy, who now just called Sand. I've always wanted to do a story with them and, and this sort of provided an opportunity, you know, because it was connections with, uh, with dreams, his connections with the Nightmare Stone, it all just sort of like, it just made sense and it came together really well. And it's been, it's been really fun. There's some, there's some really fun stuff with him that comes up throughout the book that I really like. And I think it's something, a worthwhile question people will probably ask about this. I mean, we have Dr. Destiny, we have Wesley Dodds, we have this dreamscape or nightmare realm. Um, There's going to be questions about uh, Morpheus and Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman. Have you thought about that? Like, you know, is how... Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so talk a little bit about how this is different. No, I mean, we don't really have too many, you know... I feel like Neil's story is Neil's story and that's the world that Neil built. And so it's always about being respectful of that and like honoring it. But I also don't want to like take that ball and run with it too much. You know, it's like, that's definitely Neil's world. Uh, So with this, it was like, okay, what are the pieces that I can play with? And obviously Dr. Destiny was a big part of that as there are mentions of things. um, But, you know, I don't want to break anybody's hearts, but like, you know, dream and death never actually come into the story at all. Uh, but there are definitely references to stuff because, again, it's like I don't want to mess with Neil's story and the stuff that Neil is doing at all. Um, but, you know, I'll be respectful of it, honor it, and it is connected, you know? So it's like I don't want to also act like it's not connected, you know? So I'd rather just have fun with that and, and you know, do the shared universe stuff and just show those connections without getting too deep into it. Is that a challenge as far as coming up close to the line without crossing over the line, honoring legacy honoring another creator's work tap you know kind of like bumping up against it but not you know invading that territory as a creator yourself is that a challenge to like keep those lines in mind yeah it's a challenge but also i think it's part of the job you know it's a story you do with all these characters like even when i'm working on superman right now you know so much of my like point of view on superman has been this where it's like I want to honor everything that's come, but I still have to make it mine. I have to take my, I have to tell my story, you know, and I don't want to ignore somebody else's story. Uh, I'm a big continuity junkie, you know, if anyone ever looks at my work, like I'm really respectful of everything that came before. Like when I was on flash, I looked at like everything, you know, sometimes when some creators come out of a book, they just like throw everything out. They're just like, Nope, mine now. And they throw it all out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's all foundation. We can use it all, you know, we use it all. And that's how I feel about this stuff. So it's definitely a challenge at times, but I just feel like it's part of the job. Like it's just part of when you're working on big franchises like this, uh, you know, and I don't think there's any bigger franchise than just like doing the entire DCU for two months. It's like, and I've done it a few times now, uh, that it's always about that, you know, and it's, it's, 
with these characters, I've seen this a lot lately, where it's like these characters, I feel like we're, for lack of a better phrase, we're babysitters. These are somebody else's baby, you know? So, so I'm babysitting them. It's my job to take care of them as best as I can. Like, I'm a shepherd for it, to get it from here to there safely. And so it's the same thing. It's like other people have put so much of their own, like, heart, blood, sweat, and tears into these characters and these stories that it's like you should be respectful of that. And so, again, it's just part of the job to try to walk these lines sometimes, you know, so you're not messing with somebody else's doing. But it's like, think about it like this. when If you're writing, let's say someone was to write the Justice League, whenever you're writing a Justice League story, all those characters have other books, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like there's somebody else writing a lot of those characters. And so it's just a lot of coordination and communication and talking to creators. And then, yeah, just walking that line as best you can. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we have we kick things off with Night Terror's First Blood number one, and then there's the four issues, the core story, and then we also have the standalone books that are also connected. You know, Joker, yeah. Poison Ivy, Catwoman. Talk about the planning involved with these other writers as you're att- attacking all of this, and just sort of that big game plan. How is that working out for you? It's been great. You know, I've done this a few times now. Like I've worked on a bunch of events for DC at this point and uh, and coordinated other events for other people like working on metal and death metal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of communication. Like it's just a lot of phone calls, a lot of talking, you know, it's like Jeremy Adams, for example, who writes the Green Lantern. Uh, he writes the Green Lantern two-parter as well. You know, he and I just chat or we text each other, you know, like Tim Seeley, who was working on the Angel Breaker one, you know, like he was texting me this morning about something. It's just really about a lot of communication. And, but with this, we also try to give everybody a lot of freedom. You know, I remember really early on, we did a Zoom call with a bunch of creators and I was like, listen, if you've ever seen Nightmare on Elm Street, you're going to be fine. (laughs) Like that was sort of where I was at. I was like, listen, there's little logistical stuff. There are things we can piece together. But if you understand the rules of it, you're going to be fine. Just go have some fun with your character. Throw them a nightmare. One of the things I told them was, I was like, you know, nightmares are not often, sometimes they are what they're about, but sometimes they're about something else, right? Like you might have a dream about a tidal wave, but that doesn't mean that you're actually afraid of a tidal wave in that moment. It means there might be something else going on. Like dreams can take on new meanings. So really apply that to what is going on with these characters and then really get into their heads you know, what are, what are your characters actually having nightmares about? Not what they're afraid of. What are they having nightmares about? And really play with that. So it's been it's been great, you know, a lot of the work with the editorial, work with the talent, just a lot, of, a lot of phone calls, a lot of Zoom calls, just a lot of text just communicating with each other. What what are the rules of nightmares? What, what are the rules? Oh, you have to ask rules? me about the rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're basically the same thing as, as, as the rules you would see in in Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's like if somebody dies in the dream world, they die in the real world. And the entire story takes place in one day. It takes place in one night. So you have to sort of keep that in mind when you're working on the book. You know, Insomnia can come in and out of the books and their stories. He can hide his people in their stories. You know, he can take the shape of other people. Um, Trying to think of all the rules now. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street, you're fine. That was the number one rule. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. The other yeah. thing I'm going to... Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, the other thing I was just fascinated by is every nightmare is unique, but we have this unifying villain involved. So from yeah. an artistic standpoint, are 
how as you're working with artists on this and as we're looking at these standalone books is there a different approach to the art based on the dream based on the nightmare and um and what was kind of your your hope as you're working with the artist about the overall artistic approach to i yeah i think you know depends on the nightmares themselves depend on the character right so that their dreams might take on different shapes and might look different so that was really depending on the character uh with the artists you know i was working with i, I got really lucky that like howard porter uh who works on the first the first uh blood and then he also works on night's end the fact that howard had been wanting to work on something horror related for a really long time like there was just something inside him that wanted to do it um and the same thing with Giuseppe Camicoli and with Casper. Like, everybody wanted to work in horror, and they all knew it. And so I was like, this is the thing to keep in mind. Yes, this is a DCU story, but it is a horror story first. So keep that in mind when you're working on this. Like, I, I you know, try to amp up the visuals on a horror level, not so much a superhero level when you can find them. You know, I think that was something we talked about a lot, and then it was, like, obviously already said, you know, the story can be very visceral at times. You know, it can get a little bloody, it can get a little gory. Um, you know, we have to be careful with that, but still try to find those tricks that can let us, you know, some of the best parts of horror um, is what you don't see, right? You know, it's about that stuff that's in the corner of your eye, you know, it's... I, I wanted to sort of make sure we found places for that too. And so talking with the artists, it was a lot of that, of like, you know, let's just really dig into the horror part of it first and then think about the superhero part of a second. I just have a couple more questions for you and yeah, I'll sure. let you go. But these, who was the character, who is a character that by the end of this series has kind of surprised you the most? Because even though you might set out with a game plan, a roadmap for some of these things, as you're writing it, it, it can take surprising twists and turns. So who has surprised you the most by the end of this? Definitely Dead Man. Like, Dead Man and Insomnia, the sort of back and forth they have, I think, I had one idea at the beginning, and then as I wrote them together and sort of the uh, conflict between the two of them, but there's a part where, uh, there, there's a part early on where Insomnia is kind of like, you and I are the same, right? And Dead Man is like, no, 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 we're not. But then as the story goes on, you start to see that there are similarities between the two of them and Asami is kind of right. And I didn't really think that at the beginning. Like, I, the, the two of them and their relationship, their dynamic, definitely changed shape by the ending. And it's like, after I had actually written almost everything and I was working on the ending, the ending actually changed. You know, like, that was probably one of the surprises for me was the direction the ending took. Like, you know, when I was talking to other talent about what was happening on the other side of this, you know, because there's, there are elements here, like we create a new villain uh, called Dr. Hate and they're created at the ending and then they're in stuff at the end of the year. And then there are things in here that will impact the Batman book immediately afterward as we go into Gotham War. But as I started getting the ending and thinking about Insomnia and thinking about Dead Man and sort of some of the pieces of play, one of the biggest things that surprised me was was that like those two characters also the tone of the ending like when i at this point i would kind of compare the ending to like empire strikes back and i did not start with that in mind but that's sort of what it became you know it became a bit of a of a, of a different kind of ending that i didn't set out to make but by the time i got there i was like oh no this is the way the story needs to end this is where the story is leading you know especially because we're it's connected to the whole donna dcu 
uh, Donna DC plan that it was like, oh no, this is sort of like an Empire Strikes Back ending. And I didn't intend that from the beginning. I got that way. And it was because of Insomnia and Dead Man, the changes that I felt like they were going through over the story. Like I didn't plan it that way. And now by the time I got there, I was like, oh yeah, this actually, this makes sense. This is, this is the ending, you know? So that's what changed, but it was because of Insomnia and Dead Man. Is there sympathy for the devil? The devil being Insomnia? I think so. I have it, you know, when I'm writing him, you know, like I said, especially when we get to some of that stuff at the ending, I think the stuff at the ending with him is so emotional that I I definitely had some sympathy for him by the time we got to the end. I know it's such a um, kind of like cheeky question, uh, but <laughs> I, I need to know about your nightmares. What what are your nightmares? Oh, what do I have nightmares about? Work. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought about this too. This is actually why I mentioned tidal waves and floods and stuff. Like, you know, I don't live in an area that gets that kind of stuff, but I, I would have dreams about it every once in a while, you know? And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's really okay question. I did think about this a lot while I was working on it, you know, the ideas of, uh, of what my own nightmares are like, you know? Uh, I think my number one nightmare is about emails. <laughs> they never stop. They never stop. They come. And if you answer one, you sometimes get two back. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that would probably my, 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 my nightmares are usually about, about that, about emails and stuff. Um, but yeah, I have, I, uh, and to, to answer the question, this goes into anyone who is even a little bit aware of how many books I work on, um, uh, dreams about tidal waves usually mean you, you know, you're being overwhelmed. Uh, so I'm aware of it, <laughs> but yeah. I, I see. I, I just thought it maybe meant I drank too much water before I went to bed. And uh, no, God. I wish it was that. No, no. It's usually, <laughs> it's usually about the idea. And it's the email, dude. It's the email. There's too many emails. I have a tidal wave of emails coming at me. See, that's like, that's adult nightmare fodder as far as um, it's that or like existential, you know, family stuff. But was oh, there yeah. any any juicy nightmare? as a child when maybe you were oh, maybe when you're prime time for Freddy uh, when I was a kid and there were monsters and stuff like that you know I don't know if I ever had like straight up you know I I definitely think I've had dreams about like the darkness you know what I mean like creatures in the dark I, I don't think I ever had a straight up dream of like Freddy chasing me it was like bigger sort of things and much more about uh certain anxieties you know um but I think in terms of monsters I, you know, I never had like a universal kind of uh, monsters level nightmare. It wasn't like Dracula or, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon was chasing me. Um, you know, I never, it was funny, maybe this is like my, my wife is like this a little bit where it's like if we watch a movie like Freddy, because she can watch, she can watch Jason and she can watch Michael Myers, but she can't watch Freddy hmm. because she will have a nightmare about it after my kids are the same way like they're they're the same i was never like that you know i never had that level of like straight up i watch a movie and that night i have a nightmare about it like i, I just never worked for me but the the kind of like monster nightmares have always been a bit more of just like yeah like the darkness and the unseen and things that are coming at you that are way more way more um abstract you know and, and just weird trippy um, you know, I love kind of dream logic stuff and storytelling, you know, like if I'm ever watching a TV show and they do a dream episode, I'm all about it. <laughs> like, I'm, yes, let's do it. I, I'm curious 
and how they present it because things don't make sense in dreams a lot of times. You know, things come in and out, they jump around, they're choppy. Even if you remember all of it, it's very choppy. Um, I think only reoccurring dreams I always have, uh, and I still have them every once in a while, are just dreams about, like, stuff about school and just trying to, like, get through the day at school and get done with school. And, like, you know, I, I think those are the kinds of dreams I have. But, yeah, yeah. What dreams do you have? That's a question. So what, what's your nightmare? So, I mean, I'm in a job where I pursue a lot of spooky things. and I know. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know. I know, I know. And sometimes <laughs> you and I should just talk about horror sometime. Because I, I work on a lot of horror stuff. I'm obsessed with horror amusement parks and haunted houses and stuff. Like, that's, like, my jam. Yeah. So, if you and I ever see each other at con, I'm going to hound you. And we're just going to sit and talk about haunted houses for a while. I love haunted houses. Yeah. I've done comic books about haunted houses because I just, I love them. So, yeah. I think it's because I, exp- I pursue that stuff in my waking world. It doesn't yeah. invade the sleep sleep world. And then as yes. a kid, I yeah. think my scary dream as a kid, looking back, is probably like a serious existential and psychological roadmap of like some, you know, like it, it, it was just about a monster, but it was a monster that very much symbolized something else as a kid. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like I'm fortunate that I don't, I mean, the closest thing is like, yeah, deadlines and work. Yep. And the boring stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. But yeah, definitely you and I, if I ever uh, see what it comes, we should definitely talk about uh, horror stuff. I've been to some haunted houses. I've been to some stuff. I've seen some stuff. I, like I said before, I love it. Anytime I have an opportunity to go to something like that, I'll do it. You know, like, uh, I, my favorite kind of horror is horror with a little bit of black humor, a little dark humor to mm-hmm. it. You know, I'm a big uh, Sam Raimi uh, fan. Yeah. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, dude, I've I've always been obsessed with like haunted houses, anything involving horror, you know, like, you know, if I'm if I'm um, if I'm driving and I see some kind of like horror museum, I'm like, you know, I have to go, I gotta go check it out, some kind of roadside weird thing. Let's go, let's go yeah. look. Well, maybe at San Diego uh, Comic Con, we'll do a detour and go find. I know there's a couple, uh, there's a couple haunted house attractions and a couple haunted houses there in San Diego, so. Yeah, that'd be fun, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I, I really appreciate talking to you. And um yeah, no it's it's sto- I'm stoked about this. I love this kind of exploration and I love any time we're taking um a, a a tour of the dark side of the DC universe um like this. So uh really excited to see everything as it rolls out. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm hoping you dig it, you know. I hope you get to check it out and see how we were able to push the horror a little bit more than normal. Yeah, and maybe after everything is wrapped, uh, we'll come back and talk about the ending. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That sounds fun. All right. All right, Josh. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you. And that was Joshua Williamson, comic book writer of the DC Comics horror event, the big summer event, Night Terrors, which kicks off July 4th and runs throughout August. This has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual, I want to hear about them. Please send them in. I'll read them on a future episode. Email us at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers, and until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. 
And please subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm-hmm.